God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So let me ask you that question. What does God sound like? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when does God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially, the, the Bible is a, a collection of God conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that dream or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, I just had some bad pizza? Jesus said we'd recognize his voice and follow him. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Godconversations.com Hi, and welcome to episode 20 of the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, speaker, and the founder of Godconversations.com. Today is the final episode in the five-part series on the book of Revelation, how to understand that mysterious book, Today we're looking at the testing and response. How did the first century hearers know that Revelation was from God? I have a sinking feeling that if John was alive in our churches today, sharing his vision in church, I'm not sure that we'd let him on the platform. We would most certainly conclude that he'd been eating way too much pizza, certainly not having visions that would one day be included in the canon. The truth is that Revelation, the book of Revelation, has a very interesting history and many people had a hard time accepting that this book was from God. The book of Revelation was the last book to be accepted into the biblical canon and even Martin Luther tried to oust it during the Reformation. Today we're going to look at some of the questions and issues surrounding this question. How do I know if a dream is from God? We're going to look at the book of Revelation as an example of that. How did the first century hearers know that this book was from God? It's a question that we need to apply to all the revelation that we receive. Then we're also going to look at what kind of response was expected when God sent his message to those seven churches. Whenever God speaks, there's always a call to action. I think you're going to find this last episode intriguing and I think you're going to find it applicable to your own God dreams, your own God visions. And you're going to see that the message of Revelation is applicable to us in the 21st century today. But before we get to our topic, I wanted to ask this question, how are you going with the series? We'd love to know if you found it helpful. What have you found interesting? What have you learnt from it? What have you learnt from your own God dreams? Maybe you've had some dreams along the way that you've learnt to interpret, or maybe you've seen the book of Revelation in a different way. We'd love to hear your comments on the blog page of godconversations.com. Job 33 verse 15 to 16 says this, Why do you complain that God doesn't speak? He does speak in a dream and in a vision of the night. But we don't notice it. Our prayer is that through this series, you've been able to become more aware, perhaps, that God has been speaking to you. As we look at the first century example of God speaking to his people, our prayer is that you've been able to recognise his voice in your own life in the last few weeks of the series. So let's get into today's topic. In many ways, a crucial part of the process We've looked at five different questions. 
that we should apply to any dream or vision that we have in order to understand what God is saying to it. Remember at the beginning, we looked at the setting of the dream. What situation are we facing? And we saw that the the Christians that were being spoken to by God were in a situation where they were facing dangerous persecution under the Roman Empire. What is the setting of the dream? We looked at the emotion of the dream. Emotions are something that are often deeply impacted by the visions that God gives us. I think it's one of the reasons why God speaks to us in this way, because it impacts our senses. It's like we're there. You're in the middle of a movie scene and you get involved. How does the the emotion of the visions of Revelation teach us what God's message was? We also looked at the symbols, nearly 20 different symbols in the book of Revelation that we may understand what was associated with the messages there and hopefully seen some examples of how symbolism works, not only in the book of Revelation, but in our own God dreams. So the next step, question number four, how do I know if a dream is from God? And then the last question, what do I do with it? So let's have a look at the first one. Is this revelation from God? Now, it may seem a little odd and perhaps a little irreverent to ask this question of a book that is already sacred scripture. But I want you to think for a moment of what it was like for those first century church members receiving those visions from John. He sends them the message, these these wonderful visions that he believes are from God. Now remember that the church had been instructed by the Apostle Paul that everything that comes from God should be tested, that it should be checked. Even in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, we read this scripture, test the spirits to see if they're from God. There were many false gospels, many false documents floating around the time of the early church. And we see that over the course of early church history, that the leaders had to establish, well, what's from God and what's not, what's inspired and what's not. And as we look through history and we look through many of the church councils that took place, the process of canonising the books for the New Testament was actually testing the revelation. They're actually saying, is this from God? And can we trust it? Is it authoritative for our lives? The book of Revelation itself went through this same testing process. And we see that it perhaps had a harder time than some of the other books of the Bible. In fact, the book of Revelation was the very last book to be accepted in the canon, didn't get accepted until the early fifth century. Even today, some Eastern Orthodox churches don't use this book in their liturgy. And when we come to the time of the Reformation in the 1500s, we see that Martin Luther didn't like it and decided that it should be taken out of the canon, which is a very odd proposition given the history. And also I look at another reformer, which I found interesting too, that John Calvin wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible except for the book of Revelation. So we, we see that it had a bit of an in and out experience. Sometimes it was in and sometimes it was out. But we find that in the end, the book of Revelation was accepted as a part of sacred scripture. And we want to see, well, how, did, how could they have known that this book 
was from God. Let's have a look at the way that they could have tested it. In my ministry, I often say when we're testing a revelation, there's three different witnesses that we can look to, three different ways that we can test to see if a revelation is from God. There's safety in three witnesses. Let's have a look at the first one. Jesus in the Scriptures. This is the first one. The question is, does a revelation sound like something that Jesus would say? Remember that we see who God is most clearly in the life of Jesus. He's described as the image of the invisible God, God's Word in the flesh. Everything Jesus said and did is the will of God. It's like God has given us a living, breathing testimony of what he's like. We have such a great advantage to have a look at the life of Jesus and see the consistency of his voice through the scriptures in the gospels and then speaking to us today. Revelation chapter 19 verse 10 says this, Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. See, when Jesus was on earth, he spoke God's will. But when he left, he sent his spirit. He said, it's better if I leave. I'm sure the disciples didn't feel that. They had so much more to learn and and they were puzzled. Jesus, why would you leave us? And then he says, the reason is, is because my spirit will come and my spirit will go with you wherever you go. It it won't be limited by the dining rooms of Jerusalem, by the temple steps, by the synagogues in Judea. My spirit will go with you wherever you go, beyond Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And when God speaks, when his spirit speaks to us today, he sounds like the voice of Jesus. He sounds like what Jesus said. His voice brings truth. His voice brings freedom. His voice speaks of a kingdom of love, joy, peace. It builds up. It encourages. It brings life and light to all who hear it. So let's have a look at the book of Revelation in this light. We ask ourselves, is this something that Jesus would say? When we first see Jesus moving amongst the lampstands at the beginning of Revelation, he's bringing the comfort of his presence to the seven embattled churches. He's saying, I'm with you. He's speaking truth, encouragement. He's stirring them to stay faithful, to worship God and not the empire. Is this something that Jesus would do? Then Jesus is represented first and foremost as a sacrificial lamb. He leads his people into battle with robes that are washed in his blood. He lays down his life for others. He defeats the enemy, not with a physical sword, but by the sword of his word. He triumphs in the final battle. We ask, is this something that Jesus would do? We also see Jesus with a white robe and a gold sash, white wool hair and feet of bronze, eyes that see everything, a judge that makes things right and brings justice and overcomes evil. Is this something that Jesus would do? Finally, we see Jesus as the groom at a wedding. He's calling his people to keep their first love for God rather than be seduced by the ways of an idolatrous enemy. Is this something that Jesus would say? 
In fact, as you look through the book of Revelation, you can see the testimony of Jesus' life through every page. His testimony is consistent. Everything he said and did is an echo of what he did when he was on earth. It sounds like Jesus, the one that walked the planet two or three generations earlier, the one who spoke of a spiritual kingdom of love and joy and peace, rather than a political one that emphasised power and wealth and self-seeking. In the same way, when you have a dream or a vision and you ask yourself the question, is it from God? The first question that we need to ask is this, does it sound like something that Jesus would say. The voice of Jesus comes through every page of the book of Revelation. Let's have a look at the second witness, the witness of community, the blessing of this new covenant that we now live under. It's not just John who has the spirit, it's the church. It's the people that follow him who now also have the Holy Spirit. The beauty of that is that when God speaks to one person, his spirit can resonate in the life of others. And this is what happened with John and the seven churches. We know from history that the book of Revelation was received openly. The first couple of centuries, it was welcomed into the church. They were familiar with the symbolism of the message. And if we have a look at the testimonies of many of those early church characters, we can see they literally followed it. We know that the early church continued to walk in the ways of Jesus, such that by the early 4th century, the Roman emperor became a Christian and ended up halting the persecution. We know that many people took the words of Revelation seriously. They laid down their lives. They refused to exercise revenge. We know that they practiced generosity, that they tended the sick, the people that no one would go near. We know that they gave to the poor, such that there's documentation from the Roman emperor to another saying, hey, look at the Christians, look at what they're doing. We know that the people of God heard the message of Revelation and they took it seriously as being from God. When we receive revelation from God, he will confirm it through his people. The Holy Spirit will bring agreement to his people as we are open and as we're listening to his word. The third witness is the witness of signs. You know, it talks about in Gospels that signs follow Jesus wherever he went. When he said to people, I'm the bread of life, Then he gave a tangible demonstration of what that looked like by doing a miracle and feeding 5,000 men and their families with five loaves of bread. Signs are little supernatural indicators to show us, hey, this is a message from me. And I often find that God does this in a very practical way when he speaks to us. He often speaks in ways that are where he communicates natural knowledge, but he also communicates supernatural knowledge. And even though it's hard for us in retrospect to have a look at how Revelation was received in this way, I often wonder when I read those first three chapters of Revelation, those prophecies to the seven churches, if John, as he was receiving those messages, he gained information that no one else knew about. He knew about attitudes in the congregation. He knew about their spiritual state and he spoke into it. 
Now, God often does that, particularly through prophecy. He may mention something that nobody else knows and you're left going, wow, God is really among us. He does that to help us understand, hey, this is from God. This is from me. We also knew that John had relationship in his community, that he was a leader and that he was seen to be reputable in terms of his spiritual walk before these churches. We know that he makes a call for the churches to take him seriously by appealing to the testimony of Jesus. The voice of God is recognisable. If you're asking yourself, is this from God? Remember that the God who speaks longs to be heard. He longs to be understood even more than we want to understand him. If you're not sure if something's from God, go back and say, Lord, show me if it's from you. Let's have a look at the last question now. The last question we reply to any dream that we think is from God. Number five, how is the dream asking me to respond? See, when God speaks, his words are spirit and they are life. They are bread to be eaten. (laughs) They are directives to act on. They're designed to bring transformation. They're designed to lead us closer to God. They're designed to bring his kingdom to the earth. So there will always be action. There will always be something to do with God's word, whether it's as simple as meditating on it, letting the truth of it set us free, whether there's actually practical directions that we need to follow. And this is the case with the book of Revelation. God was speaking to his people and asking them to respond. I've no doubt that there were people in those seven churches who were saying to God, Lord, I want direction. What do we do in the situation we find ourselves in? What do we do in our church communities? How do we handle the persecution of the Roman Empire? And God speaks into those questions. You know, it's unfortunate that this book has been used and misused over the years to provide answers to questions that are not being addressed You know, I look back at some of the things that have happened over the years, some of them are a little bit embarrassing actually, where people have tried to predict the end of the world. You know, Jesus himself said that no one knows the time, yet people have, you know, tried to use the book of Revelation as some hidden code to predict the end of the world and there's been stockpiling and panic and and all these silly scenarios which were never designed to, this is what the book of Revelation was never designed to address those questions. It doesn't tell us the time and we shouldn't try and read things into it. We should let the message stand for itself. Let's have a look at some of the key messages from the book and I think you will have picked many of them up. But let's see what God is saying. Number one, four things. It's a call to follow Jesus and to stay faithful to his ways. Revelation chapter 3 verse 18 says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. This is a call to follow Jesus. This is a call to walk like him. This is a call to live righteously, to see as God sees, not to be lukewarm, but to keep following their first love, to love Jesus more than their own lives, to stay faithful under persecution and resist the seductions 
of the empire to keep pure. You know, the analogy of the bride and the groom is such a strong one in Revelation. You can see how appropriate it is. The bride devotes herself. She stays pure like a virgin. She waits for her husband, her groom to come. She dresses ready for him. And then she experiences the reward of a wedding and unity and celebration when he comes. The second message that's calling them to respond was to show them the way to conquer evil. You know, so often in life we face situations where victims of circumstance, victims of, of things that people do to us. And the book of Revelation shows those first century Christians and us how to respond. What do we do when we're treated unjustly? What do we do when we're persecuted for our faith? Revelation tells us as the victory is won ultimately by the death and resurrection of Jesus and that all who follow him are called to live in the same way by dying to ourselves, not to align ourselves with human power and worship of other gods, but to lay down our lives, to follow him, to use spiritual weapons of prayer and of worship to conquer in the same way that Jesus conquered. See, he's portrayed as the hero, isn't he? The ruler of the kings of the earth, the one coming on the clouds with a double-edged sword in his mouth, having authority over the nations, riding a white horse, overcoming the beast and reigning a thousand years. But he doesn't do it alone. He has his army following him, dressed in white robes. They're reigning with him. They have authority over the nations too. They sit with him on the throne. They conquer the empire, not with armed resistance. No, but according to the principles of Christ. Revelation 12, 11 says this, They overcame him, how? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They fought by not compromising. They fought with spiritual weapons, with prayer, with worship, with a testimony that reads true. The third message, the third call, is an encouragement and a promise of justice. See, ultimately, the battle has been won, but some of those people were facing evil and were victims of it. What was their response? Well, to hope in a future promise that would see justice done, that the scales would be brought back into balance, that God would vindicate those who had laid their lives down, that the enemy would be overcome and things would be made right. God was saying, don't take vengeance <laughs> on the human powers. Understand that the victory comes through the Lamb, and that God will vindicate. He comes as judge. He comes as a victor in authority to vindicate those who follow him. And the reward? The reward is this, a kingdom that comes in its fullness, a kingdom that we have a taste of but not yet fully realised, a place and, and a state of no more tears, a new city, a wedding, a new Eden, all these images shown to us to depict this fullness of the kingdom. No pain, 
no sorrow, no injustice, no darkness, a new body without disease, an unbroken fellowship with God. Powerful, isn't it? Powerful call to Jesus' followers. You know, our circumstances have changed since the first century, haven't they? Although as I look across the earth today, we still face evil. We still face the effect of empire. We still face the outcome and the fruit of a kingdom that often serves itself. I think of some of the crises in the Middle East, what those people are facing for their faith, that persecution by the Islamic State, the the bombings and the beheadings and the kidnappings. This message has such direct relevance for them. How should they respond? And for those of us who are not directly in the line of fire, I also see that this message has a powerful impact. How are we fighting? What's our response? Well, we should be taking up the sword of the Spirit. We should be offering up prayers like incense. We should be standing around the throne in worship, understanding that that those spiritual weapons have impact, but at the same time not conforming to the ways of empire, not conforming to the seductions of power and wealth and selfishness. See, the way of Christ is a, a different way to live and whether we're in the thick of it, under direct persecution or whether we're being seduced in other ways. God is still calling us to follow the way of the Lamb. He's still calling us to be faithful. He's still calling us to live differently according to the way of the kingdom. There are spiritual battles going on behind the scenes and God is giving us a glimpse behind that curtain and he's saying, understand that as his people that we see things differently that we live differently as a result. What an incredible privilege to see as God sees. What an incredible encouragement to know that God is vindicator, that God is judge, and that his promise for those who are faithful is of great reward. I want to encourage you today, whatever situation that you're going through, that God is watching and he sees your heart and he's calling you to live according to the way of the Lamb. Follow Jesus. Keep your first love. Stay faithful to him and God will bring his reward. I look at the book of Revelation and we've come a long way, haven't we? It's been quite an intense series, but I hope that in unpacking it, you've been able to understand some of the power of this message. You can see, can't you, why the early church received it so openly. They understood what it meant. They understood the fullness as it impacted them, what was going on in the spiritual realm, and then what God was calling them to do. It was a radical call to live differently. And the message of the book of Revelation has enormous impact on us today. I hope that as we've unpacked some of those interesting visions as well, that you've been able to use some of those principles in your own God dreams. You know, I I have to admit, I've never had a God dream with a seven-headed monster and um, I've never had some of those kind of dramatic scenes. Uh, Mine are much more tame in relation to the book of Revelation. But I do understand the God who sends those messages is the God who wants to answer our questions. He wants to guide us. But most of all, he wants us to lead, to be led in a way that makes us more like the image of his son. 
He wants to build a kingdom on earth through us. And he wants to do that by leading us by his word. Thanks so much for listening today. Thanks for listening to the series. And as I said earlier, I'd love to hear if you've got any questions, perhaps particularly about the book of Revelation or even about your own God dreams. That would be great if you dropped us a line, an email, or come and see us on the blog. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may your God conversations be clear and may you have the courage to follow everything the Spirit leads you in. Bye for now. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast by Tanya Harris. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. So post your comments on the blog page of godconversations.com or at facebook.com forward slash Tanya M. Harris. Help us to equip others to recognize God's voice by rating the series on iTunes. Remember, Jesus said we would know his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.